welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on July the 15th and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and the readers today are Catherine Neal. Hello. And Phil Lee. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording today. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., which we can actually do now, followed by headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then finishing up with a thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please just get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil is going to read. Indeed I will. We'll start off with uh, Colin Chance House at Wilds Lane, which is 01905 767 766. And there's a note here with it pointing out that listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency is 101. NHS Direct is 111. Out of hours medical assistance is 0300 123 3211. And that's between 6 and 8 p.m. Crime Stoppers is 0800 treble 5 treble 1. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help is 01905 768053 and select option 3. Community Risk Team, that's Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 3331. Sense Adventures, which is walking for the visually impaired, you'll get D. Jones on 01684 891 297 or 07920 144614. The email address is www.senseadventures.co.uk. The Samaritans is 116123. Worcester Live is 01905 611427. And finally, Malvern Theatres 01684 892277. Thanks, Phil. So, moving to what's on. And finally, I can tell you some things that are going to be happening in the next few weeks. I think the most important one must be the Three Choirs Festival, which is back and taking place this year in Worcester. From Saturday the 24th of July to Sunday the 1st of August, there'll be over 77 events featuring over a 1,000 performances. No, performers, that would be more likely, wouldn't it? For the most up-to-date information about the festival programme, visit 
threechoirs.org, and that starts with the number three. So threechoirs.org, all lowercase, of course, slash what's dash on. So I hope that's easily transferable. Threechoirs.org slash what's dash on. For tickets, telephone the festival ticket office on 01452 768 928. A couple of things on at the Malvern Theatres. From July the 19th to the 24th, Ralph Fiennes directs and stars in a production of T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. It's a 7.30pm start and prices for tickets start at £38 up to £47. Also in Malvern, and I'll give you the box office number at the end, on Friday the 23rd of July at the Malvern Theatres, the award-winning writer and comedian Adam Kay shares entries from his diaries as a junior doctor. I've read the book, it's brilliant. Tickets are £30.24p, extraordinary and the show starts at 7 30 p.m the box office at malvern as phil gave you earlier is 01684 892 277 there are a couple of other things which will come out as we read general news stories of things that are going on in worcester but i am not going to include them here because they will make a nice uh, thing to read So that's what's on, and I think we can move seamlessly to the headlines, which Catherine's going to do, and then the stories. Yes, the headlines for this week have been Friday the 9th of July, Blaze Drama in Quietest Street. Saturday the 10th of July, Thanking Their Lifesavers. Monday the 12th of July, Cameras Plan for Killer Road. Tuesday the 13th of July, They Know It's All Over. Wednesday the 14th of July, school shuts due to Covid and Thursday the 15th of July, road shut for a month. A fire ripped through the roof of a home in Worcester. One person was treated by paramedics after the blaze that took place yesterday morning in Bramhope Close, Warnden. An eyewitness spoke of his disbelief when he saw the fire in what he described as the quietest street in Worcester. The fire took place in the Warnden cul-de-sac at around 10.15am with neighbours rushing out and knocking on doors after fears it could spread to the neighbouring properties either side of the two-storey mid-terraced house. Dan Sheppel, who lives in Grassington Drive, which directly overlooks the road, said he looked out the window and saw the fire. I thought something does not look right there, he said. I came out as other neighbours came out and I said, has anyone called 999? I was just about to and someone had. With the smoke, you couldn't see anything. With the wind, it was covering all three houses, so we started knocking on doors, seeing if people were still inside. The man who lived there had got out. The main thing is everyone is all right. Five crews went to the home, and a rapid response ambulance was also sent to the scene. Police also cordoned off the road. Mr Sheppel continued, The main thing is everyone is all right. It's luck no one was hurt. We say this is the quietest street in Worcester. This never happens. A few hours after the fire had been put out, the smell of smoke was still strong in the air. Firefighters used a platform ladder to reach the roof, which was reduced to an open hole on the top of the building. A spokesman from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, We received a call at 10.38am to attend a house fire in Bramhope Close. 
Five fire engines were called to attend, including crews from Worcester, Evesham, Droitwich and Pershaw, and discovered a fire in the roof space of a two-storey mid-terraced house. The ambulance service also attended and looked after one casualty. The fire service remained at the scene into the afternoon, dampening down and pulled debris and damaged items from the home. Okay, on to Saturday, July the 10th, and the headline was thanking their lifesavers. Two survivors of a car crash have been reunited with the ambulance team which saved their lives. Friends Claudio Oliveira, 21, and Imogen Wood, 20, were left with life-threatening injuries and both spent several weeks in a coma following the collision between the car they were travelling in and another car and lorry on August 11th. They were returning from a day out with friends when the crash happened on the A4040 Parsonage Way in Warnden Village's Worcester. Imogen from London Road spent five weeks in a coma and does not recall any of the crash. She said being able to meet the paramedics who were first to arrive at the scene of the crash that day had been an important part of her ongoing recovery. I had no idea just how serious the collision we were involved in really was, she said. Meeting them and seeing how emotional they both were and how thrilled they were to see that I'm still alive was amazing. It was absolutely unreal. Imogen's mother, Sarah Wood, was able to attend the emotional reunion and could not be more grateful for all the work West Midlands Ambulance Service did to save her daughter. She said, There are not enough thank yous in the world that I can say to them for saving my daughter's life. Sarah spent weeks by her daughter's bedside, unsure if she was going to be the same person she once was. Imogen is now back at work as a ward clerk on Worcestershire Royal Hospital. She added, We were told she wouldn't survive, but now she's back, walking, talking and working. Coming out of a coma, it's not at all like the movies. It's a long, long time. Imogen and Claudio met while both working for the NHS. Claudio from Ronxwood has not yet been able to return to work and was also full of appreciation for the people who saved his life. He said, My memory of the whole thing was a blur, so being able to see them and ask questions and tell them how I'm recovering now was such a great feeling. Paramedics Roisin Morgan and Robert Armstrong were the first on the scene that day. Roisin said, To think that my work played a part in these two having a full life ahead of them is the highlight of my career. Great story. <clears throat> Headline for Monday the 12th of July. Cameras plan for Killer Road. Police have announced speed cameras are being installed on the A449 to reduce the number of people killed or seriously injured after a number of crashes. The notorious stretch of road has seen at least 35 crashes between Chatley Lane and King's Horford School in the last 20 years, leading to it being dubbed Killer Road. During the past three years, three people have been killed on the 50 mile per hour section, with a further four people suffering serious injuries. The latest crash happened last month, with a car resting on its roof. Average speed cameras are being placed along the 50 mile per hour stretch of the A449 from Hartlebury to Ombersley, the first system of its kind within West Mercia. Installation of the cameras is to take place throughout the summer, with them being switched on in September while existing speed enforcement cameras and mobile vans will be in operation before then. Speeding or inappropriate speed was noted in the majority of crashes as a contributory factor. Superintendent Gareth Morgan said, 
The installation of these cameras is part of our efforts to improve safety on the A449 and the opportunity to use new technology to combat this is an exciting move for us. There are many families that unfortunately know far too well the devastating consequences that speeding and collisions can lead to. Reducing the number of people killed or seriously injured on our roads is our priority and reducing the speed that people travel is a key part of this. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said, Too many people die or are seriously injured on our roads. Road safety continues to be at the heart of my work as Commissioner with my focus being on tackling inappropriate speed and driver behaviour. Schemes such as this are a vital tool to ensure we reduce the life-changing impact of our poor driver behaviour on our roads. Worcestershire County Councillor for the area, Tony Miller, said, Speed is a concern that is often raised by my local constituents, so it is great that we can use this technology to try and reduce speeds along the stretch of the A449 and in turn reduce the number of people killed or seriously injured. The story for Tuesday, July the 13th was about the football and the headline on the front page says they know it's all over. It has a very striking photograph of someone walking away from the camera wearing a very large England flag with the three lions on it walking past the Guildhall. Um, and the actual story begins with the headline Football Decides Not to Come Home. City football fans went through every emotion imaginable on Sunday night as England lost to Italy in the Euro 2020 final in heartbreaking fashion. What started with such joy, thanks to an early goal from Luke Shaw, ended in heartbreak as England were once more denied glory due to a penalty shootout. Italy equalised in the second half through Leonardo Bonucci before a nail-biting added time in which neither side was able to find the all-important winner. With the fifth and what proved to be final spot kick, 19-year-old Bukayo Saka, one of the nation's brightest stars this summer, stepped up, was unable to beat the towering Gianluigi Donnarumma, and so England's long wait for silverware continued. In Worcester, seats at the city's bars had been booked up days in advance. Thousands took to the pubs to cheer on their young side, who'd brought such hope and belief to the country, both on and off the pitch. The roar when the three Lions scored the opener after just two minutes could be heard all round the city as fans began to believe that it really was coming home. It proved to be a tale of two halves and when Italy scored the equaliser, the silence was deafening. Then came the penalties and the tension was quite literally sickening, especially for those who started drinking a bit too early. Jordan Pickford's save was met by cheers as loud as the opener, but the joy was quickly wiped out by Italy's own shot stopper, and with it, England's fate was decided. Unfortunately, the sense of unity before kick-off could not be felt after the game as fans poured back out into the streets. Although most were well-behaved, what many had hoped to be a time of celebration turned to chaos as one man was arrested after throwing a firework into the crowds gathered at the city's cross, hitting two police officers. These disappointing scenes were replicated on social media, where people took their frustration out on the players, with one Worcester resident targeting Marcus Rashford in a racist tweet. He claimed his account had been hacked. 
Yesterday, as many in the city nursed a sore head, the street cleaners were out early to ensure everything was shipshape as people returned to normality after a night they will never forget. Indeed. Okay, so we're on to Wednesday, and the headline is School Shuts Due to COVID. Rising cases force an early end to term. A Worcester head teacher has been forced to close the school to pupils as coronavirus cases rise rapidly. Nunnery Wood High School will now be shut until the start of the new term in September, as head teacher Stephen Powell says they've had 19 positive tests in one day alone. In a letter sent out to parents and carers, Mr Powell explained that all students must remain at home and study remotely for the remaining days of the summer term due to how quickly cases are rising. He said this applies to all bands and to all year groups. Over the past weeks, Nunnery has followed government guidance in tracking close contacts of positive COVID cases in order to identify students who should self-isolate. Students and their families have been selfless in following this advice, despite isolation having a hugely demoralising effect. Although these actions delayed the spread of COVID to a degree, no school measures are proving sufficient in preventing rapidly increasing numbers. The letter went on to say, Year 8, Y-Band returned to school after 10 days of isolation. They were tested on arrival and several positive cases were recorded. During the whole of last week, the school was notified of 18 positive cases. On Monday, it was notified of 19 positive PCR test cases, showing how quickly the numbers are rising. Positive cases have been reported in all year groups and all bands. Increasingly, numbers of staff are being asked to isolate too. Positive cases will continue to accelerate this week, meaning that the growing number of students risk picking up the infection or will need to isolate because of their contact with someone who has. Radical changes to our plans for this week, the letter went on, cancelling SMSC Day, Sports Day and other activities will not be sufficient to prevent this. The process of being sent home as a close contact is traumatic for some students. Also, we are aware that further isolation risks precious family holidays booked for the first week of the summer break. We will test on return as expected by the government, but beyond that we plan for school life to be as rich and as challenging as it was pre-COVID. Details of terms, details of term start times will be sent shortly. And finally, the headline for Thursday, July the 15th, Road Shut for Month. A busy road in Worcester will be closed for more than a month to carry out work for property development. Main Road in Hallow will be closed from July the 22nd to September the 1st to accommodate sewage work for the residential development. The closure will mean people will no longer be able to use the A443 to travel into the city. Worcestershire County Council said Piper Homes will be carrying out the work. A spokesman said, As this is an A-road closure, the diversion route will take people over Holt Fleet Bridge and into Worcester via the A449, but there are other alternative routes. There will still be pedestrian access through Main Road. The council said the work was planned at a time it would minimise disruption. They said the closure has been planned for the school holidays so as to minimise disruption. However, we recognise that this is a busy route into the city and disruption will still occur. There are advanced signs warning of the road closure and additional signs will be provided at the time of the closure. We've been communicating the closure on our travel Twitter account 
and Piper Homes have communicated the closure detail with residents affected. But Grace Walton, who lives in the area, does not agree. She said, The road closure will cause a massive disruption to residents in Hallow. Commuting to work will be an absolute (coughs) nightmare. It will mean driving through the villages on the outskirts of Worcester just to get into town, which will add a lot more time to car journeys. I don't understand why there is the need for a total road closure. To me, it makes more sense to have a one-way traffic light system in place. Hopefully, the road will reopen within the six weeks and not be delayed. The council said the full road closure is required due to the nature of the work. A spokesman said, Unfortunately, the work requires a three-metre deep trench in the centre of the road. With the required safety zones, a full road closure is required and we are unable to keep either side of the road open for traffic. Sounds pretty grim to me. So that's the headline stories for the last week, and we can now move on to some general news stories, and perhaps you'd like to kick us off, Catherine. Okay. So uh, this story is entitled Protest Over Racist Drones. A sit-in protest took place in Worcester to reclaim the park after residents say they're being plagued by drone pilots on race days. According to local councillors Matthew Jenkins and Jenny Barnes, drones are being launched from Lansdowne Park to transmit images from the racecourse to gamblers during race days. Councillor Jenkins organised a sit-in at the park to reclaim the space during the last race day on June the 30th. He said... The people operating the drones are supposedly using them for betting syndicates, filming the horse racing as it happens. I suggested last race day that as many residents as possible come to the park to reclaim it from the drones. I'm aware that RGS Worcester is equally concerned and there have been many complaints from residents. From what I'm led to believe, it is illegal to operate or fly a drone within 50 metres of anyone, which would be very difficult if anyone is in Lansdowne Park as the drones are taking off. Councillor Barnes said police officers attended the park on June 30th and moved the drone pilots on, but this hasn't stopped the problem. She said... Since the recent intervention, pilots have started to launch from Lansdowne Crescent, at times blocking the road junction by landing on the road. When local residents approach them, they're met with passive aggression. The drones transmit images from the racecourse to gamblers, enabling subscribers to see the outcome faster than TV images, thus giving an advantage over those they gamble against. The racecourse has not given permission, which may be why the launch is a distance away. Drones are licensed by Civil Aviation Authority, but residents who are impacted are referred to the Police 101 number, despite the lack of powers to act, unless the drones launch from private land without permission. It may well be that other cities with racecourses have a similar problem. A change in national legislation is needed to protect the public. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, Worcester City Council has not given permission for the commercial operation of drones from any sites that we manage in the city. We worked with the police to stop a drone being flown from Lansdowne Park on Wednesday, June the, 20, June the 30th. I think it should be. It says June the 20th, but I think it's the 30th. We will investigate any reports we receive of drones being flown for commercial purposes from other land in the city, which we manage. And I've got a a story which is headed A Labour of Love at Brockhampton. Visitors to Brockhampton near Bromyard have been treated to a new display upstairs in the manor. 
a piece the National Trust describes as, and I quote, a creative depiction of the Brockhampton estate, which has brought the local community together in the making. Five women from the Ross-on-Wye Arts Society donated their time and efforts over the past four years to create a custom-embroidered wall hanging, which is on display in Bartholomew Barnaby's room upstairs in the manor. Inspired by similar works of the 18th century, the impressive tapestry shows images of working life on the estate between the 17th and 18th centuries, with farming, fruit, orchards and wildlife all tied together within the tree of life. These elements still remain a priority for Brockhampton today. The Trust's Reimagining Orchards project aims to reinstate the lost Victorian orchards at Brockhampton in a fun and creative way, while also enhancing biodiversity on the estate. Bristol-based artist Walter Jack was commissioned to help create an orchard that had the enjoyment of visitors at the heart of its design. Working alongside landscape architects' Rathbourne partnership, Walter developed a concept of the orchards which will span across three fields and even include a trowel boat from August onwards. The first of the orchards was planted in winter 2019 and can now be explored by visitors. This orchard features five circular rooms surrounded by lowland meadow. The arrival of the tapestry coincides with an important milestone for the project as the all-access pathways begin to take shape through the orchards, meaning visitors will be able to enjoy these spaces all year round. Experience and Visitor Programming Manager Anna Vaughan said, Being the largest orchards cared for by the National Trust, fruit trees and habitats remain the very essence of the Brockhampton estate. We are thrilled to embark on a journey which reinstates the lost Victorian orchards in a creative way, encouraging families to play and explore the outdoors. We strive to thread Brockhampton's history through both the landscape, the house, the orchards and the fruit production, all being at the heart of each creation. This sentimental piece has been catalogued as a new treasure in the Brockhampton collections and will be cared for by the Trust indefinitely. It now hangs pride of place on a custom-made stand created by local carpenter Peter Hughes. And I've got uh, a story about something that's going to be happening in Worcester over the next month. Next week, a Worcester museum will be the home of a new event full of exciting and sensory activities about time travel. The six-week event at the Commandery will be open to visitors from July the 20th all the way till the end of August. The museum will be showcasing a range of fun family workshops and science activities inspired by the building's 800-year history. Helen Manning, Commandery Events Officer, said, Not only can visitors expect a really exciting summer programme of workshops and events, but there's so much space at the Commandery to let off steam every time you visit and some exciting new activities to try out, such as the nature play area, which includes den building and the messy mud kitchen. The Commandery is the ideal place to get out and about this summer locally for some family fun inspired by the museum's amazing history. Each week will follow the theme of a different period of history throughout the summer holidays. Workshops will take participants on a journey through history, from creating crazy Victorian inventions to writing secret Civil War letters. There will also be the opportunity to fill up a time-travelling passport to win a prize. 
Alongside the summer activities, visitors of all ages can discover stories from the city's dramatic history during every visit and relax in the spacious enclosed gardens. Centuries of stories can be uncovered through interactive exhibitions and one-of-a-kind objects from the dramatic Civil War story exhibit to the new permanent display, The Georgians, The Pride and the Prejudice, which whisks visitors into the Georgian age through art, costume and fascinating characters. The end of the month will be topped off by the Powerful Princesses and Noble Knights exhibition on August the 30th. Interactive storytelling, archery, garden games and hobby horse racing are on the list of things to do, as well as creative crafts and trails to complete around the building. Visitors can enjoy special artisan teas and coffees at the Commandery Coffee Counter, not to mention a wide range of cakes and light lunches. Sounds good fun. And here's some university news. Major plans to expand a city university campus have been put forward. The University of Worcester has submitted plans to develop its seven campus off the city's Hilton Road, ahead of huge plans to build an international cricket centre on the site. The work, which will be carried out as part of plans to create a health, well-being and inclusive sports centre to accompany the university arena, will create new walking and cycling routes and green spaces throughout the campus, as well as cycle storage for almost 300 bikes and 300 car parking spaces, including 100 electric car charging points. Further work, which also includes the university's ongoing work to turn the former Worcester News offices at Barrow's House into a medical school for nurses, midwives and other health professionals, will see a new dedicated cycle route through the campus connecting St John's and Sabrina Bridge via Henwick Road and Hilton Road. Plans also include new health and well-being walking route to be built throughout the university site as well as flood defence improvements. The well-being route will be designed to help with rehabilitation and will be available for GP referrals. Once finished, attention will then move to creating the new International Inclusive Cricket and Education Centre which will provide a national home for all forms of disability cricket. During the summer of 2020, the Worcestershire LEP and the Housing Secretary awarded a £3 million grant for infrastructure and green works at its seven campus through the LEP's Get Building Fund. University Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive Professor David Green said developing the Seven Campus would build on work to educate students in a variety of health and well-being professions. The University has been working for several years with England Disability Cricket, the Worcestershire Cricket Board and County Cricket Club and the England and Wales Cricket Board to create the world's first inclusive cricket education centre. This centre will provide both an important national facility and plentiful opportunities for children and the wider community in Worcester and beyond to gain educational cricket and wellbeing skills, he added. Plans can be viewed via the planning section of Worcester City Council's website, application number 21 forward slash 00629 forward slash FUL, with public consultation ending on August the 4th. Thank you. Cracking sound sparked search is our next headline. 
A man threw a punch in the street which caused a cracking sound within earshot of a police officer. Kieran Shire, 20, who had been warned about his behaviour by police earlier that night in Worcester City Centre, was searched and found to have cocaine in his pocket. He admitted common assault and possession of a cocaine, a Class A drug, when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester following the incident on April 24th. Police had already had a conversation with Shire earlier in the evening about his behaviour before they were called to deal with another matter at around 11.45pm, said Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting. Miss Winterflood said later in the evening an officer was standing in Angel Street, about 10 or 15 metres away from the defendant, when he saw him with another male, Ethan Einert. She said, He describes Mr Shire bringing his right hand up to his right cheek to form a fist and his right arm extend towards this male. He says he doesn't see any part of Mr Shire make contact, but he hears a cracking sound that sounds like a punch. During his arrest, Shire was searched and, in his right trouser pocket, officers found a white powder, later identified as cocaine. Miss Winterflood told magistrates the victim in the case had not provided a statement, refused to cooperate with police and did not want to be involved. As a result, there was no victim personal statement and no application for compensation. Mark Turnbull, defending, said Shire had made a full and frank admission in police interviews, telling officers he could not really remember but that things were starting to come back to him. Mr Turnbull said there had been a conversation between Shire and another male and the defendant had taken a swing for him. It's not clear precisely whether that punch connected. Mr Shire certainly doesn't recall, he said. Shire, a broad meadow droitwich, had recently lost his job as a labourer because of an arm injury and had limited previous convictions. A Section 4 public order offence was withdrawn by the prosecution. Magistrates fined him £120 for each offence, ordered him to pay a £70 contribution towards cost and a £34 victim surcharge. They ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the cocaine. This story appeared in Friday's paper just before the Wimbledon's finals weekend. And you'll see why I've told you that, because it's all around, all about sort of tennis. Canine carers at Dogs Trust Evesham hope a set of doubles will find a love match ahead of the Wimbledon ladies' doubles final this weekend. Mother and daughter Lurcher, pair five-year-old Judy and two-year-old Liza, found themselves in the care of Dogs Trust through no fault of their own. But now the dream team hope they will be served up a forever home together. Tracy Spears, assistant manager at Dogs Trust Evesham, said... Judy and Liza are both very sweet-natured and make a great team, so we'd ideally like to rehome them together. Judy is the more affectionate of the pair and often snuggles into her favourite people for lots of fuss. Liza is a little more of a live wire and tends to prefer racing around after toys, especially tennis balls. With their long, lean, athletic bodies, they love a good run around, but unlike a tennis champ, they don't like to be on the go for hours and hours. Just like most sight hounds, they much prefer having a snooze and kicking back on a big sofa. The pair can live with children of secondary school age and above and would prefer to be the only canine companions in their new home. They would need a secure garden and plenty of toys to run around with. Tracy added, many sight hounds find themselves in rescue centres up and down the country. 
When it comes to Judy and Liza, they're so lovely and would make great pets for a family who want double the fun, double the cuddles, double the kisses and double the love. If you think you could change the tale for Judy and Liza and give them the home they are looking for, please go to dogstrust.org.uk slash rehoming to start the virtual adoption process. Dogs Trust Evesham holds information days every Sunday. If you'd like to take a tour of the centre, meet members of the team and see the dogs spending time with their canine carers, please go to dogstrust.org. Well, let's hope there's a happy ending to that story. Yes, cross our fingers. A long-awaited public art trail featuring a rainbow herd of elephant sculptures has been launched in Worcester. That's yesterday, no, two days ago, Tuesday. Worcester's big parade runs until September the 5th with 66 sculptures in the Wild in Art event brought to the city by St Richard's Hospice. Sarah Matthews, business development manager for St Richard's, said, We're so excited to be bringing our herd to Worcester and can't can't wait to see everyone out there exploring the city this summer. The parade is the perfect open-air opportunity to reconnect with family, with friends, with colleagues and with the city while helping to support the care we provide to families across Worcestershire. The individually designed sculptures and two interactive digital art installations will be on show through the city's streets and open spaces, forming a trail about six miles long. Thirty large elephants have been designed by artists and sponsored by organisations from across the county and beyond. Thirty-six smaller calf sculptures, which have been decorated by schools and community groups, will be on show in city centre shop windows and Crowngate Shopping Centre. Charlie Langhorn, Managing Director of Wild in Art, said, Worcester's Big Parade is a wonderful opportunity to bring business, artists, schools and communities together through the power of creativity after a challenging 18 months or so. We hope everyone has fantastic fun getting out and about, discovering incredible elephants and sharing the magical stories that inspired each work of art and which may well inspire local artists of the future. Trail maps will be available from points around the city. Indeed. Thank you. On the road to shortages. Back to reality now. Lidl has said empty shelves at some of its stores are down to disruptions to supply chain networks. Shoppers across the country had noticed the German discount supermarket shelves emptier than usual, taking pictures of the clear gaps. Rival supermarkets, including Morrison's, Tesco and Aldi, are also rumoured to be having issues. There has been a variety of explanations for the shortage on the shelves, including Brexit and coronavirus, but it is understood to be a lack of lorry drivers, which is the main cause of the issues. In a statement issued due to the problems nationally, Lidl said, Unfortunately, like a number of other retailers, the availability of some products has been impacted by the current distribution to supply chain networks. We apologise for any inconvenience this may cause and are doing all we can to resolve the issues as soon as possible and to minimise any impact to our customers. In March 2020, at the start of the pandemic, there was an appeal to shoppers in Worcester not to bulk or panic buy as empty shelves appeared in supermarkets then. The most popular items that were difficult to get hold of at the time included toilet roll, bread, hand wash and soap. 
Last month, we reported on industry experts warning empty shelves was inevitable due to staff shortages across low-paying sectors, including harvesting, manufacturing, and in particular, a chronic lack of drivers. Trade website The Grocer also reported that trade bodies, logistics firms and suppliers had all been warning that the end of lockdown, combined with the summer holidays, could see a tipping point reached. And then the author of this article asks, have you noticed issues on the shelves in Lidl or other supermarkets? Email, and this is all small case, sgr at worcesternews.co.uk. Targeting gull menace. Fresh calls for gull control have been made amid claims the city is one of the worst affected in the country. Councillor Alan Amos has continued his crusade to tackle Worcester's growing gull problem and wants a health and safety emergency to be declared as part of a plan to bring numbers under control. He said gull numbers were rising exponentially in Worcester and attacked Natural England, claiming the government agency was deliberately making it difficult for gull control after making changes to the way it hands out licences for dealing with protected birds. During a full council meeting at the Guildhall, Councillor Amos said, Following their suspension of an organisational licence to the council, so requiring an individual licence even for the removal of one egg and only after the submission of an array of restrictive conditions, Natural England have now deliberately made any form of gull control in this city impossible. Councillor Amos called on Worcester MP Robin Walker to tell out-of-touch bureaucrats at Natural England to stop peddling the lie that the vicious flying rats were in any way endangered. They certainly would be if I get my way for a cull, he said. The council was told in 2019 a city cull would be illegal and a licence impossible. Due to a fall in the rural gull population, Natural England has been stricter with its licences and hardly any were awarded last year. The council has been spending between £30,000 and £40,000 each year to try and bring the city's gull problem under control and has exhausted a long list of methods in a bid to curb numbers. These have included disturbing nests, removing eggs, using hawks to deter gulls and buying gull-proof bins. City Councillor leader Mark Bayliss said the government needed to take the gull issue more seriously than it had done so far and he would be raising it with Robin Walker. I think the gull numbers are at a level now that will have a serious impact on the health and safety of the city and I think the government and government agencies need to reflect on that, he added. Just last month it was agreed that an extra £30,000 would be spent this year on gull control measures as one of the council's new Conservative administration's top priorities. Councillor Bayliss said the extra money would pay for two months of intensive hawking in the city centre for eight hours every weekday, spikes for lampposts, more red roofs in the city centre to deter gulls and more nest removals. Right. Now, this story is about a sens- senseless raids on three venues. A church hall, a nursery and a pub were targeted in a trio of attempted break-ins in Worcester. St Stephen's Church Hall on St Stephen's Road, Wishing Well Nursery and the Alma Tavern on Droitwich Road were victims of attempted break-ins on July the 9th. The attacks, which happened from 2 to 3 a.m., caused external damage but almost nothing was taken. 
Alma Tavern co-owner John Dean said, My partner Will went out to the company van at around 9.45am when he noticed someone had tried to force open the driver's door. I think the security lighting must have disturbed him, but it's annoying because for people to treat hospitality this way, especially after the last six months, it just isn't good enough. The manager from the Wishing Well Nursery asked if we had anything on CCTV, but there was nothing we could see. He continued, It's disrupted their week and could have affected the education of the kids who go there. When we saw the scenes of crimes, scenes of crimes van at the church across the road, we were shocked. They'd only stolen seven pounds, but they've cost more damage than what they've actually stolen. It's mindless thuggery and senseless vandalism. Mr Dean said the perpetrators tried to come through the back gate of the pub where the TV systems are located, in the garden. He said, luckily they were all secured in vandal-proof boxes, but it was just a massive inconvenience. The thought of someone trying to access your place of work makes us feel vulnerable. We live above the pub, so we're just fortunate they didn't gain access. Jennifer Jenkins, manager of Wishing Well Nursery, said they were lucky the damage was external. She said, they didn't get in, that's the main thing. There was damage, but the alarm must have triggered and freaked them. Whoever it was tried to force the doors at the fire exit. It looks like, to me, the damage was done with a crowbar, but we have that door secured. We were lucky the damage was external. It's frustrating more than anything else. We have enough we need to be doing. Reverend Andy Todd, the vicar at St Stephen's, said... Obviously upsetting that the hall was broken into, mainly for the staff of the preschool, but almost nothing was taken and the children's stuff was, as far as we can tell, untouched. We haven't had an update yet from the police on whether they've identified a suspect and the damaged doors have been repaired. The Worcester News has contacted West Mercia Police for a comment. Park CCTV raised before stabbing. CCTV provision in a secluded area of the city was mentioned at a meeting just days before a man was stabbed there. The stabbing in Westbury Pocket Park in the Arboretum on Monday shocked the community, but residents say problems at the park have been escalating recently. One resident who did not wish to be named said, The way the people who use the park behave is absolutely disgusting. It is really not a nice place to live anymore. It had been very tough on myself and my family. They sit there and drink all day and night, playing music and shout, swear and fight. I can hear it in my garden, and I struggle to get my child to sleep because of it. I completely avoid the area now. If I need to go to Asda or somewhere, I won't walk past the garden. I go the long way. A 45-year-old man from London was arrested on suspicion of wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm following the attack. The injured man was taken to hospital but has since been discharged. Arboretum Ward Councillor Jenny Barnes told the Worcester News that providing CCTV in the area has been discussed at a meeting just days before the 33-year-old man was stabbed. She said, During the Ward Community Safety Meeting with Inspector Green, Sergeant Smith and the City Council, the issue of safety by the canal was raised and CCTV was mentioned for the area of Pocket Park to be further explored by the City Council and the police. Residents took to Facebook to share their thoughts on the safety of the park. John Kunak Tabinor said, Part of the problem is that it's a no-through road, so apart from people using the canal, it's nice and quiet and a bit of a backwater. There's already dodgy types that hang around under the rail bridge, by the canal and by the path, that cuts through to Lion Court. 
If I was going to create a secluded area that's perfect for dealing and taking drugs, this place could be a blueprint. Shelley Matthews said, I love how they say it's an isolated incident when the residents are saying it's a troublesome area day in and day out. So yes, maybe the stabbing is an isolated incident, but maybe if the antisocial behaviour had been dealt with initially, it wouldn't have escalated. Trouble is, as our whole road knows, you report and report and nothing happens, so you put up with it. Worcester City Council was unavailable for comment as we went to press. An alternative festival is coming to Worcester this month with free theatre performances, film screenings and activities for residents to celebrate the arts after a tough year for the industry. Worcester Live is bringing together a wealth of entertainment this month in the city's first ever Worcester Fringe Festival. The event will run from July the 23rd till August the 1st and will take over four of Worcester's most popular performance venues. Sarah Jane Morgan, CEO of Worcester Live, said, After a tough year for everyone, we wanted to find a way to celebrate the arts in a way that has something that everyone can enjoy. This will be the first Worcester Fringe Festival, but we plan for it to be continued as an annual event in the future. The Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall, Henry Sandon Hall and Vestas Tilly Studio are among those taking part. Residents can also enjoy a huge schedule of free performances taking place outside in the courtyard at Royal Royal Porcelain Works. The festival will see a variety of shows ranging from outdoor acoustic sets to live theatre and will offer a platform to new emerging artists offering a mix of light-hearted entertainment and shows alongside hard-hitting and raw performances which delve into important topics. As part of the festival, there will be many family events such as crafting, theatre shows like the popular Horrible Histories and a theatre bike. Props, costumes, puppets and joy will be brought to audiences as they're taken on a journey to the theatre in open air. Tickets and more information is available online at worcesterlive.co.uk all lowercase and all one word or when calling Worcester Live's box office on 01905 611 427. And judging from one of the pictures uh, alongside the article, there will be an ABBA tribute band performing, I can tell from the photograph. (laughs) Catherine. um, This is a story from Tuesday. Volunteers worked throughout the weekend to restore and clean up Worcester Rugby Football Club grounds after Travellers set up camp last week. The club said Travellers left terrible damage to the fields on Offenham Lane when the caravans moved off on Friday after a visit from police and bailiffs. Piles of human excrement had been left outside the club's buildings while a shelter and pitches had been damaged and graffiti sprayed on property. They expect the costs of clearing up and providing extra security to exceed £10,000 and have launched a crowdfunding campaign to help cover costs. A statement from the club said, Pictures 1 and 2 look a mess but will hopefully recover with tender loving care. The pictures will, however, be out of action for some time. Acting quickly and limiting occupation to a couple of days has undoubtedly reduced the amount of damage and mess. It also means our external bookings and income should be unaffected. The site has been secured and the club has paid for extra security measures too.
The club said volunteers worked miracles on Saturday to make the site clean and safe so they could reopen on Sunday. Anyone wishing to donate to the crowdfunder should visit justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash fix WRFC. That's all one word, F-I-X-W-R-F-C. Summer is back at last. Worcester will be hit with a scorching heatwave just in time for Freedom Day. According to the Met Office, we will see highs of 28 degrees Celsius on Monday, July 19th, the day all coronavirus restrictions are due to lift. The forecast shows it will get gradually warmer throughout this week, reaching a balmy 26 degrees Celsius tomorrow, which rises to 27 on Saturday and Sunday before hitting 28 on Monday and Tuesday. A spokesman for the Met Office said... This weekend, we'll see it turning dry into this period with plenty of sunshine. Temperatures also increasing further to feel very warm and hot in any sunshine. But how can you keep cool in the heat? The team from Voucher Savings website, netvouchercodes.co.uk, has researched and revealed hot weather hacks to help us cope with high temperatures. Among the tips are freezing sheets, and wearing wet socks at night to help you fall asleep in the hot weather. Other advice includes creating a homemade sprinkler using a plastic bottle and freezing aloe vera in an ice cube to help to soothe sunburn. A spokesperson for Network Voucher Codes.uk said, We love it when the sun comes out in Britain, but that doesn't stop us from complaining about how uncomfortable the heat can be. Luckily, there are a number of low-cost, hot-weather hacks we can use to make the heat more bearable. From making homemade cooling mists to applying deodorant to your feet, these tips will help alleviate general and several common summer gripes. On Monday, July 19th, the government will remove outstanding legal restrictions on social contact and life events, and all venues currently closed can safely reopen with no capacity limits such as nightclubs. Social distancing is to end, the wearing of face masks will no longer be mandatory and there will be no legal limits on gatherings and the guidance to work from home, where possible, will also be relaxed. The government will instead ask people to make informed decisions about how to manage the risk to themselves and others. The Big Worcester Sleepout will be returning this autumn. After being cancelled last year, the event, which aims to raise funds and awareness for homelessness in Worcestershire, is back with bigger targets. The event will take place on October the 14th at Sixway Stadium and all money raised will go towards three local charities, St Paul's Hostel, Warriors Community Foundation and Mags Day Centre. Speaking at the launch of last year's cancelled event, Warriors Lock Justin Clegg said, Homelessness is such an important cause. There are so many people struggling in Worcester and anything we can do to raise awareness and money for the three charities can only help improve conditions for them. At the last event in 2019, more than 120 people slept out and a total of £36,000 was raised. But this year, organisers hope to do even better and expect to see at least 150 people and have set a target of £45,000. They said... Our mission is to raise awareness of the complex issues surrounding homelessness within our county and the services our charities relentlessly push forward. We started our event to help change perceptions as well as changing lives. 
While we'll always seek to create empathy through education, we do not seek to recreate the experience of being homeless. Managing Director Tracy Lowe said, We are delighted to support the Big Worcester Sleepout and do anything we can to help those less fortunate than ourselves. We ask everyone who reads this to support this event in any way possible. An apple a day could be prescribed by GPs. Doctors should be able to prescribe fruit and vegetables, the reporter said, as it revealed poor diets are contributing to around 64,000 deaths each year in England. What we eat and how it is produced is doing terrible damage to the health of the country, according to the National Food Strategy. The independent review, commissioned by the government in 2019, has urged ministers to carry out major reforms to help people cut down on sugar, salt and meat to save lives. Food entrepreneur and report author Henry Dimbleby warned that the way food is being consumed is putting intolerable strain on the NHS, which before the pandemic was costing the government £130 billion a year. A more cost-effective approach, the report said, would be to increase spending on preventative measures so that fewer people get to the point where they need expensive medical treatments. The report suggests trialling a community eat-well programme based on initiatives seen elsewhere in the world, such as Washington, D.C., which would allow GPs to prescribe vouchers for fresh produce, along with cooking lessons, nutritional education and guided teaching tours of shops and supermarkets. Children are left in limbo, waiting. A quarter of children needing routine treatment at Worcestershire Acute Hospital Trusts in May had been waiting too long, figures show, with one waiting more than a year. Families can feel as though they are in limbo, while long waiting lists and difficulties accessing timely care could put children's development at risk, experts say. NHS rules state patients referred for non-urgent consultation-led care should be seen within 18 weeks, but data from NHS Digital shows 25% of patients on the waiting list for paediatric care at Worcestershire Acute in May had been waiting longer. It means 30 children waited longer than the target time. Among those were two who had been waiting for more than 36 weeks, at least double the recommended time, And despite a zero-tolerance approach to waits of more than 52 weeks, one child in the area had been on the waiting list for a whole year. Across England, more than 72,000 youngsters had been on the waiting list for more than 18 weeks in May. Nationally, paediatric patients are generally seen faster than those waiting for general surgery, but the figures show a larger proportion of children were facing long waits than the elderly or mentally ill in May. Chris McCann of Healthwatch said it was worrying to see that more than a quarter of children had been waiting this long. He said that the coronavirus pandemic has resulted in more patients feeling stressed, confused and ignored over changes to their health care, adding, if some children who have underlying health conditions don't receive timely care, this may affect their long-term development and their well-being. The NHS figures show the number of people waiting longer than 18 weeks or a year across all treatment areas nationally fell significantly between May 2020 and May this year. I've got another um, article about something to look forward to in the city in the next few weeks. Worcester Cathedral will be hosting an exhibition next month by animal and wildlife artist Jess Pritchard with a floral twist. 
The Confetti Exhibition will be on show from August the 27th to the 30th, featuring eight large-scale hand-drawn petals. Jess said, I'm a self-taught, multi-award-winning pencil artist. I've always drawn animals. However, when the pandemic hit, I was inspired to create a new series of drawings entitled Confetti. This series consists of eight petals set in a square of 24 karat gold leaf. I was inspired to draw petals at such a large scale when I noticed how many of us turned to our gardens or the countryside for relief from the chaos around. Spending time outside once seemed like a small and simple thing to do, but very quickly became a large part of our lives. Each petal in the series is named after a personality tray to represent the different personalities of family and friends that we, have may, that we may have missed during each lockdown. Without each petal, a.k.a. family member, the flower cannot exist as a whole. The exhibition will also have a colouring table where children and adults can colour in their own petals using pencils supplied by Derwent Art. They can then write on the back one thing they were grateful to have during the pandemic to help make everyone think about the good things they've had through a hard time. These can then be hung on a wishing tree at the exhibition or taken home to keep. There will also be a selfie swing and a series of short films to accompany each artwork in the collection which can be enjoyed from the comfort of garden bench or bean bags. For more details... Go to Pritchart, that's P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-T, dot co dot uk slash confetti. Very nice. A rather darker story now from today's paper. A homeless pervert with a habit of exposing himself in public is free to walk the streets of Worcester despite telling magistrates, send me back to jail. Simon Burnley was handed a suspended sentence at Worcester Magistrates Court after admitting outraging public decency, exposure and breaching a criminal behaviour order, one of the acts committed while he had his back against a city church. The 46-year-old, who also admitted possession of cannabis, had been remanded in custody, but he was able to walk briskly away from the court towards the city centre, despite his solicitor telling the court he had mobility difficulties. The outraging public decency offence happened on May the 29th at Spring Gardens Medical Practice in Worcester and the indecent exposure in Diglas, Worcester on June the 14th. A suspended sentence was handed out despite Burnley previously being given a community order for 11 offences, three of outraging public decency, two of exposure and six of possession of drugs, cannabis and amphetamine in March and April, including in the car park of the city's Asda and on a canal towpath. He also appeared before magistrates in Kidderminster two days after he was released from custody. At that hearing in Kidderminster, he was given another community order. The first one had been made by magistrates sitting in Worcester on May the 27th. The dishevelled-looking defendant ducked down behind the dock so at times he could not be seen during the sentence hearing. Elizabeth Blacklock, prosecuting, said one witness saw Burnley making a thrusting motion while against a church wall, describing his actions as incredibly unnerving. There were a lot of people in the area, it being a bank holiday, said the prosecutor. 
On June the 14th, Burnley was seen exposing himself by a woman and her husband who were with their two-year-old daughter as they were heading back to the car. Mark Turnbull, defending, said the trigger for the offending appeared to be Burnley's use of amphetamines and that it was clear from the CCTV footage from May the 29th that he was under the influence of something. He appears to have no awareness of what is going on around him, he said. Mr Turnbull pointed out that Burnley had already spent the equivalent of a 10-week prison sentence on remand for the matters and had only spent a week in the community since May the 27th. Because of this, he argued that the community order had not had the opportunity to work. When Burnley was seen in Diglas on June the 14th, it was near Mill Street, which Mr Turnbull said was known for being somewhere you can go and easily purchase drugs. He also said St Paul's Street near the medical practice was also somewhere where people purchased illicit drugs. At one point, Burnley interrupted his own solicitor, asking, are you defending me or prosecuting me? He interrupted again, saying, just send me back to jail and something this, beginning with an S. Magistrates sentenced him to 14 weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months, and ordered him to complete 25 rehabilitation activity requirement days, which will be added to his existing community order. He must also pay a contribution towards costs of £80 and a victim surcharge of £122. Notification requirements apply because Burnley is a sex offender. He must present himself at a police station within the next three days. And still on the subject of the police, a new face at top of force. A new chief constable of the region's police force has been confirmed. Pippa Mills, who is deputy chief constable of Essex Police, will take over the reins of West Mercia Police from September when she replaces the retiring Anthony Bangham. The appointment was confirmed during a meeting of West Mercia Police and Crime Panel at County Hall. Ms Mills said, I'm incredibly proud to be confirmed as the first female Chief Constable of West Mercia Police. I look forward to commencing in the force in September and give my commitment to lead the women and men of West Mercia Police to work with our communities and partners to deliver quality policing services. West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said, I'm delighted that Pippa Mills has been confirmed to be the next Chief Constable. I'm impressed with her vision to deliver improvements in policing for our communities and I am confident that she will maximise on the additional investment I have made in policing and helping our communities to be safe and feel safe. Outstanding leadership is key in ensuring the force tackles crime effectively and delivers for the public. I'm grateful to Anthony for his excellent services to policing over the past five years and I am looking forward to the future with Pippa. Ms Mills will take up the role in September when current Chief Constable Anthony Bangham retires after 30 years of service, including five years in the top job. Pippa Mills was appointed to the position of Deputy Chief Constable of Essex in March 2019, having previously served as Assistant Chief Constable. She transferred to Essex in May 2017, having started her career in the Metropolitan Police Force. The promotion to Chief Constable came after two days of interviews, including four candidates. During the meeting at County Hall, members of the Police and Crime Panel also appointed Worcestershire County Councillor Aled Luckman as its new chairman, replacing Councillor Steve Mackay, who is serving as chairman of Worcestershire County Council, and Herefordshire Councillor Barry Durkin as vice chairman. 
A Worcester teenager and his mum are taking on a 220-mile cycling challenge to raise funds for a county hospice. 13-year-old Jay Ingram is already a young star fundraiser for St Richard's Hospice, having previously completed various sponsored events, including swimming, cycling and even a sponsored silence. The youngster, who's a pupil at Tudor Grange Academy, Worcester, is raising money for St Richard's Hospice, which cared for his aunt Mel Baker before she died in 2014. Jay's challenge is the latest in a long list of fundraising events by the Ingram family in support of St Richard's. This latest cycling adventure has been named the 777 Challenge by Jay. His mum, Sabrina Ingram, said... The first seven is for the seventh fundraising event we have completed in memory of Mel. The second seven is for the fact we're completing it during the seventh month of the year. And the final seven is to cycle the length of the River Seven. The duo will be cycling a total of 220 miles each during July. Mrs Ingram said this is probably the biggest challenge we've had and it is going to take a lot of determination and commitment to hit our target but Jay is very determined and will never give up Jay added I wanted to do something that was going to challenge me and my mum something that shows St Richard's Hospice how much we appreciated the care they gave my auntie Mel the money raised by Jay will help St Richard's continue to provide its free care to patients with serious progressive illnesses their loved ones and bereaved people across the county. To support Jay with a donation, it's www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Sabrina-Ingram777. Good luck, Jay and Sabrina. (laughs) So that concludes the general news stories for this week and we're going to move on to some sport now, which I think... Catherine's going to begin with. Yes, right. Well, uh, this story begins, Get Your Tickets. Worcestershire residents offered first dibs in Birmingham Commonwealth Games ballot. The Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games is coming to the West Midlands next summer and for the next two weeks, people who live in Worcestershire can apply for tickets in an exclusive ballot over the next two weeks. There are more than one million tickets available for the Games, with ticket prices starting from £8 for under-16s and from £15 for adults. There will also be £22 tickets available for every session throughout the Games, including all medal sessions and the opening and closing ceremonies. By registering for an account at birmingham2022.com, you can get ahead of the Game and be there to experience all the action first-hand. With 286 sessions across 19 sports, including eight para-sports, there's something for everyone, with tickets available for fan favourites, which are athletics, swimming, gymnastics and netball, as well as a host of new sports, including women's cricket T20, basketball 3x3, wheelchair basketball 3x3 and mixed synchronised diving. The ballot is open to the residents of the West Midlands as defined by the Office of National Statistics. This includes people living in Herefordshire, Shropshire, Staffordshire, Warwickshire, West Midlands and Worcestershire. You can check your eligibility using the postcode checker on the official Games website. 
Tickets will also be available in the main ballot in September, which is open to everyone in the UK. Matt Kitson, Director of Sport for Birmingham 2022, commented, Birmingham 2022 is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for residents of the West Midlands, with the games being held essentially in their backyard. We want to make sure that everyone who lives locally has a chance to experience the games through volunteering, spectating or soaking up the festival atmosphere. That's why we're launching a priority access ticket sale today for people with the West Midlands postcode. This is your chance to experience the biggest sporting event to be held in the UK for a decade. Andy Street, the Mayor of the West Midlands, encouraged people to apply for tickets and be a part of the phenomenal spectacle. The Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, he said, is going to be an absolutely phenomenal spectacle and we want as many people as possible from across the West Midlands to enjoy the atmosphere. Okay, this is a story from Friday. It's headed Olympic form podium spot in warm-up event. Evie Richards continued her preparations for the Olympic Games with an impressive third-place finish in the Mountain Bike World Cup race in Le Jet, France, on Sunday. Richards, 24, will be representing Team GB in the event in Tokyo later this month and outlined her podium credentials with a brilliant ride in incredibly testing conditions. The rain began on Saturday and turned the course into a muddy, slippery mess, with almost every rider hitting the deck at some point, including Evie, as the weather caused chaos for the riders. The Malvern cyclist came off the bike as she came round the final corner, but despite a quick roll in the mud, she recovered to take her first top three finish in a World Cup. The former Chase School student started the race on row four, but a late charge saw her gain a bronze medal and maintain her impressive season form at the perfect time. Gold medal favourite for the women's mountain bike event in Tokyo, Loana Leconte, came first on the day, and Sweden's Jenny Rizvets recovered from a big crash to finish second. Following the race, Richard said, I am so happy. I had all my music playing in the pits this morning and I was just buzzing to race. I just had to commit to my own race. It felt a bit like time trial by myself. I ran where I had to and just tried to be consistent. Before the start, I was just wanting to be safe for Tokyo. But when the race starts, that just goes out of the window and you kind of forget about that. Good luck, Evie, we say. Well, there are very few sports stories and so many of them appear and they're then out of date that I am actually going to read a memories one. This is from um, Mike Grundy and it's golden moments on the city's sporting scene. Um, So here we go. Sporting high points for Worcester have been far and few between. On the cricket scene, the famous Foster Brothers provided some of the early spectacular batting and bowling performances for Worcestershire. Then came the legendary Australian captain Don Bradman, who scored three double centuries on the New Road ground in the 1930s, to be followed by his visit of May 1948, leading his country's test team, which also included such greats as Lindwall, Hassett, Barnes, Miller, McCool, Johnson and Toshak. More than 14,000 packed the county ground to see another classic batting performance from Bradman, who scored 107. The Aussies won the match by an innings. I was taken to the match by my father as a lad of ten, but can only really remember queuing over Worcester Bridge and seeing the vast crowd. Sadly, I missed seeing my own favourite cricketing great, Glenn Turner, score his triple century on the county ground in 1982. 
I did, however, witness that great third wicket stand between Martin Horton and Tom Graveney against Somerset in 1962, rattling the scoreboard into the 500s. And I was privileged to be at New Road in 1964 when Worcestershire won the county championship for the first time in the club's long history, and also at Hove the following year when Worcestershire repeated the feat. I was at the county ground too on the marvellous day Graham Hick achieved his century of centuries. Turning to football, there will still be those who remember well the fabulous 50s for Worcester City Football Club with its amazing series of giant-killing FA Cup runs. A crowd of 14,000 at St George's Lane and an even bigger gate at Birmingham St Andrews watched the city's two FA Cup replays against Aldershot during the 1957-58 season. I remember the disappointment was intense for for those of us returning aboard a specially chartered train from Birmingham. But the pinnacle of the city's fortunes came on the afternoon of Thursday, January 15th, 1959, when a crowd of 15,111 basked in the glory of Worcester's 2-1 victory over Liverpool. The city was under manager Bill Thompson and led by skipper Roy Paul. Tommy Skews, the 18-year-old babe, scored for Worcester in the ninth minute and the home team clinched the match with a fierce drive from centre-forward Harry Knowles for goals. An 82nd-minute penalty scored by Liverpool gave the home fans a bit of a scare. Sadly, the euphoria was deflated two weeks later when giant-killing City were defeated 2-0 in the fourth round by Sheffield United. On the rugby scene, Worcester Warriors' elevation to the Premier Division in the 21st century has been a great fillip for the city and county, achieved in no small measure by the considerable investment in the club by Cecil Duckworth. So this was obviously written a while ago because he hasn't included the win of Pino Duray in the um, Grand National, which was 2014, I think. So have to add that on. So that concludes sport for the week. And we will move seamlessly on to the, uh, what's it called? Thought for the week, please, Catherine. Yeah. This is um, from Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Thank you. And the sunset and sunrise times for today... Oh, sorry, I found, I've not got the right piece of paper, but I found it now. So the sun rose this morning at 5.06am, that's on the 15th of July, and it will set tonight at 9.22pm. Sorry about the delay on that. Well, I think that concludes our readings for this week. Oh, no, it doesn't. I've got the birthdays file. I'm so sorry. Here we go. We have one birthday to celebrate, and that is on the 20th of July... I'd like to wish Rosemary Griffin a very happy birthday from us all. So I hope you have a smashing day. I think it's still going to be hot, isn't it, Phil? It still should be hot for Rosemary. still should be hot. I hope it's a lovely day for you, Rosemary. I really do think that's everything now. So um, I would like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine. Goodbye. And Phil. Goodbye. And John is waving goodbye from behind the glass. And a big thank you to Carol for doing all her production work. And finally, goodbye from me. And if you want to hear the obituaries, they come after the music. Goodbye.
Collier, Victor George, passed away peacefully on June the 30th, aged 81 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 16th of July at 2.30pm. Due to the restriction on numbers, attendance at the service will be by invitation only. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, are welcomed for Parkinson's UK. All inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone 01905 22137. Francis, née Mittelsdorf, Anna, also known as Anna Marie very sadly passed away in hospital on Friday, July the 2nd, 2021, aged 89 years. The funeral will be held on Wednesday the 21st of July, 2021, at 12 noon at the Vale Crematorium, Pershaw. Any inquiries to Worcester Funeral Service 01905 23499. Ernest William Gunnell passed away peacefully on the 29th of June 2021, aged 92. There will be no funeral. A private family ash scattering will take place. He will be missed by all who knew him. Jean Harrison passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on the 1st of July, aged 81. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. This announcement doesn't give any date or time for the funeral, so it's important that inquiries should can be made to the Cooperative Funeral Care telephone 01905 22137 Hitchens, Teresa Ann, known as Ann, passed away peacefully at home on the 3rd of July, aged 75. A service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, 23rd of July, at 12.15. Flowers are welcome and donations, if desired, to Midlands Air Ambulance, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors. Delise, that's two words, D-E and L-Y-S, Wells Road, Malvern, Worcestershire, W-R-1-4-4-J-L. Telephone 01684 563 983. Dixon, Bernard John, passed away peacefully on the 29th of June, aged 90. Cremation at the Vale, Fladbury, on 20th of July, that's a Tuesday, at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please. Donations for the Diabetes Research and Wellness Foundation. Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748 811. Foley, Sylvia May, passed away peacefully on the 24th of June, aged 99. Funeral service at St John's Baptist Church in Clains on Tuesday the 20th of July at 1.30, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society or the Queen's Nursing Institute may be left on the collection plate at the church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Bullock, Charles Mansell, known as Charlie, passed away on the 1st of July, aged 57. 
Funeral at All Saints Church, Didcot, 3rd of August at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Style Acre, care of Howard Chadwick Funeral Service, 33 Benson Lane, Crowmarsh, OX10-8ED, or made online via www. And the next bit is all one word, chadwicksfuneralservice.com. Simcock, Stella, known as Kath, passed away on Tuesday the 6th of July, aged 90. Her funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 20th of July at 10.45am. Donations are welcomed, supporting cancer research charity. All inquiries to Hoskins Funerals, 107 The Birches, Stourport on 7, telephone 01299 Derek Howard passed away peacefully in hospital on the 30th of June, aged 73 years. The funeral has already taken place. Donations if desired for Cancer Research UK to be left on the collection plate at the crematorium, obviously that's not relevant, or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Ward, Carol Ann, passed away on Tuesday the 15th of June, aged 52 years. There are no details about the funeral, uh, so any inquiries, please contact AV Band at St John's, 01905-947-272. Mansell, Valerie, nay Pember, passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on the 3rd of July, aged 79 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 22nd of July at 10.45am. Invited family and friends due to Covid restrictions. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Roberts, Glenis Angela, nay Tudge, of Lower Broadheath, Worcester. Glenis died on 1st of July 2021, suddenly but painlessly. Glenys's funeral will take place at 2.30pm on Thursday the 29th of July at Worcester Crematorium. At Glenys's request, no flowers please. Her lasting request was for donations to be made to Sightsavers Charity instead, left either in the collection box available at the service or directly to Sightsavers with a note to reflect that it is in tribute to Glenys's life, please. 